1: As a business owner, are you continually searching for less stress, more time freedom, and increased profits? Prosper for Business by Mackie might be the solution you've been looking for. Prosper for Business is both an executive coaching program and fractional CFO service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education, visibility, and accountability. Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises said, the decision to work with Mackey was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackey team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit mackeyadvisors.com smallgiants. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more.
0: My guest today is Beck Saito. As an accomplished executive with experience spanning four decades, Beck has a unique blend of experience, holding roles that center on one common theme, bringing a people-hearted and business-minded leadership belief to individuals, teams, and organizations. Most recently, Beck was the CEO of Sticker Giant, a 2017 Small Giant Award recipient. Now, Beck is a business advisor, coach, and consultant supporting leaders in their endeavors to make our workplaces and the world a better place for all of us. Welcome, Beck.
2: Oh, thanks so much, Paul. Great to be with you.
0: It's just so nice to, to have you, and I know some of your story. I'm just so proud that we get to share your story and your wisdom with people that are listening today. I want to just start with really where you are today, where you are now. What are you doing in this newer world to you as a business advisor and coach, and what's your approach to the relationships you're building in the community?
2: Yeah, Thank you for that. I have an early-stage startup Uh, Called Humankind Business Leaders. And it is the company name that I'm doing uh, business advising and leadership coaching under. And, you know, based on my experience, Paul, I am using my, I'm a self professed business geek, right? So I love business and uh, got an early start in business in my early 20s working at UPS and I've worked in lots of different industries. And I started studying leadership early too. Um, ended up getting a master's degree from George Washington University in human and organizational learning. So the two themes that humankind business leaders and my work as a business advisor and coach does is it weaves those two things together, business and leadership, right? So I think it's, it's easy to get pulled away. And uh, there's a lot of good work that happens. And leadership coaching, and then there's tons of folks that do really great business advising, I'm really passionate in uh, making sure that we keep both of those really close together. Because you know what? What's going on in your business, uh, the tensions, the struggles, the victories, they all relate back to your leadership style and vice versa. Your leadership style is alive and well in your organization. And when we see the intersection there and how they relate to each other, Uh, we can really get clear on what the business needs and then who you need to be as a leader to achieve that.
0: So talk about that that name humankind. So we don't often see that going along or alongside business leadership. How do you merge the two? How do you integrate the two? How do you approach approach a new gig you might have to really fully explain and have them take advantage of your approach?
2: It, It really comes back to... You know, I became a meditation and mindful awareness pract- practitioner many, many years ago. And I had that experience many people have of a lot of external success and something still didn't feel uh, so successful inside, right? Lots of folks have that experience. And the reality is, us as leaders in business, the relationship we have with ourselves is the one that's most important. And we get so pulled out. Business has become such an externally focused endeavor. KPIs, goals, targets, OKRs. I mean, the list goes on and on. The ways that we pull ourselves into external validation of the company, right? Top line, bottom line, EBITDA. Mm -hmm. But then we forget that We are a human leading an organization and the people in the organization, they're human too. So there is a way to really think about business from this humankind perspective where business and leadership intersect uh, and letting that inform how you shape your organization. That doesn't mean that you're sacrificing growth just like you all at Small Giants, right? It's like you pick good over big sometimes. But the industry and so many things that you're involved in in your company are going to point to how large or small you're going to stay, how fast you're going to grow. But at the end, it's you as a leader. If you're the CEO, the owner, the founder, or a leader in the organization or a member of the organization, all of that is part of how we show up and um, learn how to run organizations with this idea of being business-minded people-hearted. and I think that changes um, what we're doing.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, It's a complete game-changer, but I wonder how those that you are working with are accepting of this approach. Mm. In in other words, um, are you looking or are you finding, as you go out there and and build these relationships and gain new uh, clients that you work with, needing to find people who kind of get this and say, yes, I welcome this, so teach me, help me implement, help me understand both my own style and those on my team? Or are you having to convince people that mm. there's maybe a newer or a different approach? I mean, how do you bring mindfulness into the workplace?
2: Oh, Lots of really great inquiry there. Uh, two things I do to introduce uh, this concept that is accessible for pretty much everybody Mindfulness is a practice of, of, of observing and being aware and that connects to emotional intelligence. So a big part of emotional intelligence is your own self-awareness. And then self-awareness isn't enough, right? You have to know once you're aware of something, how to work with that. And classically, emotionally, emotional intelligence talked about self-management. And I think all those business folks, that management word makes us sort of get in there and ratchet down on ourselves to, you know, do something about the awareness. Uh, but there's a lot more being able to take a step back and reflect on what is needed in this moment for me as the leader. How can I support what's needed in myself? And then once you're able to have a few experiences of that, you can see how people can notice that there's something different. So emotional intelligence development around awareness. And then, you know, even from, you know, old TQM, like I I went to a TQM class way back in the 90s. And one of the things I learned was just by observing things, you can get a 10% return, right? If you put an observation element into a workflow. And that's true of ourselves. When we have an intention to pay attention, then we can get a 10% shift in what's happening for us just by having a commitment to be more aware and pay more attention. Uh, Most of the leaders I talk to have great self-reflection. They're reflective on themselves and what happened but they, they aren't able to move that uh, reflection up to where it matters most in the moments where things are happening. And that's where awareness practice can really help folks have more clarity about what's going on for them and then move from that place into what needs to happen here. So I don't do any convincing. I tell my story to folks. I tell them how I work. And I tell them, you know, we're, we're going to be every every time you show up for a coaching session, I'm going to ask you first question is always going to be, did you do what we talked about last time? Let's talk about that. And what have you observed and noticed since the last time we met? And mm. that is the fodder for the work we do. And you may be observing things in your business or you may be observing things in yourself as a leader, And I just love meeting people right where they are. Some clients, we work on business stuff and what they're noticing in the business for months and months before they're ready to really talk about, well, what is that? How does that show up in you as a leader? And other people are ready to dive right into uh, their leadership style and how that's manifesting in their business. So it just depends on where people are ready to um, really do the work
0: i just love the approach and even the follow-up questions that you ask them brings a sense of accountability as well for that self-reflection and the sensibility that you now bring to your work comes from your own life story and i want Mm -hmm. to go back a little bit if you don't mind and i want to figure out where all this came from and what kind of life experiences you had that shaped you because certainly informs uh, your life and your work today so take me back to your childhood, your your parents and kind of upbringing you had, and then let's get into even schools you went to to, to understand mm. how did this impact your desire to ultimately be into the entrepreneur space, but just this leadership approach, which is so unique and
2: refreshing. Yeah, thank you for that, Paul. Uh, I'll just jump right in with my own reflection of an, a new way I talk about who I am and where I came from. This past summer, I had an opportunity to go back to where I'm from for 30 days, and we have a third-generation house in West Virginia. You know, when people would ask me the question you just asked me prior to that trip, I would tell people I'm uh, from outside of Pittsburgh. That's where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And while I was driving cross-country, I had this big realization heading to West Virginia and a really emotional uh, awareness of, I am from West Virginia, That's where I'm from. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, but I'm from West Virginia. And I I think I had a lot of shame around that. Like West Virginia has its own, you know, it's wild and wonderful West Virginia. And it's also a really impoverished and um, place that is not modern to the way I think about modern society, right? So I kind of covered that. But my parents grew up a mile apart from each other in West Virginia, Just a beautiful story of uh, two people that knew each other as kids and then fell in love when they were in their early 20s. And that place in West Virginia, it's Newton, West Virginia, was my happy place when I was a kid. So this reclamation of me saying I'm from West Virginia is really honoring that. My, My grandfather had a farm, my mom's dad, and my dad's mom lived a mile up the road. And I had to, when I would walk as a kid, when I would stay there, I'd have to walk by the general store that was the in-between spot, like it was a crossroads on a country road. And my Mm -hmm. grandfather owned that store. So no matter where I went as a kid, people knew me as um, Lee Ellis's uh, grandkid, right? Or Maggie Smith's grandkid. And I had a lot of pride around that. But as as I grew up, I started to have less pride. So my story is one of again, really just looking back and looking at ways I covered up who I was and how I've been in a process of uh, uncovering and taking masks off and really showing up in the world as all of who I am. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote that I go back to again and again, and he says, it takes courage to grow up and become all of who you really are. And that's really the quote of my life story. So from early days, right, I, I also was dyslexic. I struggled in traditional education. I cheated my way through high school and college, I tell people, and I can <laughs> laugh about it now. Um, but think about that. A kid, right, um, I had a lot of difference as a kid that was dyslexic, but it helps me be a good problem solver. So at school, I was like, okay, I've got this problem. I'm not a traditional learner. And for better or worse, I became a good cheater. But I have two master's degrees now, and I never cheated once for those master's degrees. So I had to take a lot of what I thought about myself and and put it away in order to get those master's degrees and really meet the moment of that demand as well. You know, I, I started really early in my career. The summer of my junior year in college, I got a job with UPS, and I stayed there for 13 years. And that's really where I cut my teeth and fell in love with business I learned a lot of how processes and standard operating ways to do business are really helpful. And, you know, UPS still continues to this day to be one of the best run companies around. And then I made a really big choice to take the first voluntary management reduction package at UPS. My dad told me, uh, and this is a pivot here, my dad told me I was out of God's will for my life because I left my good job. So you can see like this background of, Really, um, fundamental evangelical Christianity shaped and formed my early life as well. And as I started to understand who I was in the world, it meant pulling myself away from those belief systems. and that was that was really a three, four decade process for me. So those are just some of the things that shape who I am today and how I move around in the world, and how I help leaders.
0: So you had a really interesting education, as you said, multiple degrees. You end up getting your undergrad at Liberty University, uh, the most, the largest conservative evangelical Christian university. And then you end up getting uh, one of your masters at Naropa University, a Buddhist-inspired place. How, how did that come about? And, <laughs> and you couldn't have more opposite experiences. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think those two master's degrees, or my undergrad and then that one master's degree, kind of, you can just feel the sense of uh, how my life trajectory has zigged and zagged. I went to Liberty University to get an undergraduate degree because it was what was accessible. And I mean, you think about, that was, uh, I'm dating myself, it was a late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, I I knew my choices were pretty narrow. I got a lot of grants because my parents didn't make a lot of money. And then I also got a uh, preacher's kid grant to go to Liberty as well. So it was a good choice. It was affordable. And it was, yeah, it was what I could do at the time. But then getting a job at UPS, I I got a job loading tractor trailers at night. I was making 16 something an hour. And you think about that was, you know, that was the early 80s. I was a lot of money. And I ended up being able to have money and feel a sense of independence from my parents. And so then that gave me the ability to start stretching out and experiencing my life. I mentioned, you know, I, I came to this awareness where I was working at UPS and I had a lot of external validation of success, but that nagging something was missing. And in that time, I found a meditation teacher that a friend referred me to. And I ended up working with her for about six and a half years. And it was a really pivotal choice I made um, and decision that I worked with her as long as I did. And that opened up this idea that I had around. I'd always, as a kid, loved psychology. I was fascinated by people and what made them tick. I was fascinated by myself, right? My own psychology, so, working with this teacher, learning mindful awareness and meditation, and then combined with this love of people and always having wanted to be a therapist, I ended up finding Naropa University on an internet search and was like, oh my goodness, like this is, I could be a therapist. And then, this work I've been doing with my uh, meditation teacher, there's a place in the world where you could put these two things together. So. I applied to Naropa and I deferred my acceptance for a year and then planned to I was at UPS freight at the time I'd gone back to transportation and I ended up leaving another really great job to chase the dream of being a therapist and study at a Buddhist university. So I often say, you know, I've been chasing dreams my whole life and that that's true and it's informed how I've looked at the future, and it's been part of how, you know, that C.S. Lewis, how I've been becoming who I really am through this journey of my whole life.
0: Hmm. It's really amazing. I-, I know you grew up, as you said, in a very conservative home, but you knew also that you were different. You were same-sex yeah. attracted. You were gender non-binary. What was that process of discovery like for you, or is it? what is it like for you? Because it's, it's a process that is part of your entire life, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, people are always so interested. I appreciate so much you bringing that right up to now. People are really interested in my early experience of those things. um, But I'm still uncovering those things, right? Um, So I really appreciate you pointing to that. You know, it, it's, it was, again, it was a a long time ago, I was born in uh, early 60s. So My awareness as a kid was really limited to the access I had to what the world looked like and who you could be in the world. But I knew something was really different about me. Um, It was really confusing. So I kept a lot of it hidden. And that was hard. And that really informed a lot of what I've worked on as an adult around withdrawing into myself, not sharing, uh, not feeling safe not knowing who are safe people to be fully myself with. Uh, so I've been on a really long journey around that. I'm so grateful. There are just so many people in my in the business world that have accepted me exactly as I am, and especially in this uncovering uh, in the last, I'll say, 10 years, even more of who I am. So it was challenging not to have role models. It was challenging not to to know there was something about me that wouldn't be something I should probably tell people. I knew that really clearly. You know, I came out at UPS years ago, like in the early 90s to my leadership team. And it was a pretty radical thing to do. And I was so accepted. And I just knew that I was a good leader. I was a good business person. And those were sort of my anchors. And it often is for people that are different. To be accepted for being badasses at something, you know, in the Mm -hmm. world, and then basically come back and say, Oh, and by the way, I'm also same-sex attracted and gender non-binary. But you know, I don't, I don't need that reassurance anymore. I don't know if it's age, right? I'm I'm older and and wiser, and I it's been a life journey getting on the other side of caring too much about what other people think. So you can see how you know, imposter syndrome and all these things that leaders struggle with, they're born early and what we're supposed to be and the messages that we get. Uh, that's what social learning theory tells us, right? That we are we are who we are based on what we learn early, but we're also malleable. We can change. And sometimes that change can be scary, but I can tell you it's, for me, it's been worth it to just continually be excavating who I am more and more all the time.
0: You know, you talk about that part of the journey was getting on the other side of worrying about what other people think. And I just want to stop there for a second, because Mm. I just think there's a really important lesson there. And I think back to when you came out at UPS in the 90s, and you were probably surprised how accepting they were. And so if people were accepting then, did you somehow feel or do you feel today that people are wasting energy and time worrying about what other people think? Because in general, people have turned out to be accepting and even accepting now in in this more current part of your journey. It just seems like we all do that, whether we're hiding secrets or not, or have these masks on, why can't we take them off? Why are we so worried and living in this culture where we live in fear of what other people think of us?
2: Yeah, well, that's, uh, thank you for um, going back to that point. You know, when, when I first started sharing more of who I was back in the 90s and in the workplace, I would refer to my partner at the time as the woman I live with. And I think I'm <laughs> embarrassed by that now, the way I would phrase that back then. And, you know, people picked up on it. So it wasn't like I was like, you know, I don't know, banging my chest and, you know, claiming, I don't know, radically who I am. It was this sort of tipping a toe into the water, right? This this careful observation of how people were responding. And thankfully, you know, I, I was able to have a lot of respect and appreciation from folks that I worked with because I was thoughtful. I was a good leader. And so I I started taking more risks. And for me, the more I grew in leadership roles, somehow that also gave me some freedom to be more of who I am. But this thing around masks that we all wear, I think one of the things I'm really aware of in myself is I learned to be really cautious when I was a kid, right? Really assess what was happening. And that's still a skill I use as a leader now and working with coaching leaders and working within businesses that I'm advising. Whatever part of you that helped you stay safe and helped you be okay when you were young, that part is still in you. It's learning to acknowledge that part. And I do that with myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to be cautious here, right? And what's that about? And what what one in me is saying are you really paying attention? Is this the right risk to take? So there is a way to bring forward those experiences, but reshape them into how they can be helpful to you, as opposed to, I don't think it either, works either. And I'm, you know, this is like trying to cut a piece of yourself off. Actually, emboldens that part. It'll it'll come back on you harder often. But it's just knowing the the landscape of who you are and all the parts that you are that have brought you to where you're at and which ones to use in which moments. It's, it's a lot of discovery, right? It's a lifelong journey.
0: Yeah. And in this process of discovery and your experience of acceptance and self reflection, I got to believe that there are times when you haven't experienced acceptance and, mm-hmm. and you've experienced pushback or judgment. What's your approach to those people uh, who raise their eyebrows or question you or maybe don't approve whatever that approval might be that you're looking for?
2: Well, I, I people often uh, tell me that I have a lot of grace around who I am. So that's hard one, right? Uh, you think of grace as being sort of a soft and malleable part of who you are. But being able to have grace around folks that are less accepting is something I've worked on quite an awful lot. And everybody is in the place they're at and the moment in which you're interacting with them. So I I, get, I gave up on trying to convince people of things or, you know, growing up in a, a really fundamental evangelical Christian home, what I learned was there was a right and wrong way to be in the world. And so I have that in me. Like that's that still lives in me. I have to work with that. So when I notice that I'm starting to feel like I want to tell someone they're wrong and I'm right or, you know, get over it or something like that is like, I, I, I have to reflect deeply on, okay, am I going to do that? Or am I going to just see this person as in a different place on their journey than I am on mine. I've done that in a number of times in the workplace where I could tell people were less accepting. And yeah. I, I just allowed that to be there. And I kept showing up as a friend, as someone that cared. And you know I have had experiences of people having aha moments because I wouldn't go after them or try to make them wrong because they didn't know how to really respond to me, right? It's like if if I'm going to get engaged in a binary you know, your way of thinking and my way of thinking, then actually I haven't learned enough about being gender non-binary, right? So it's one of the things I bring to the business world and to leadership coaching is there's more both and in most things than there is this and that. And when we start doing this and that, we start narrowing viewpoints, perspectives, opportunities, uh, risks when we get in these, like separating things into categories of that and this. So it, it's just part of how I continue to show up. And I'm not perfect, right? There are moments when I have an interaction with someone, and I have to go for a walk and remind myself of all the things that I have studied and practiced and help other leaders with. I'm human. I'll share this last thing. Um, I have a really good friend and colleague that recently said, "Hey, Beck, you need to give all of us a, some help here. We're we're working on your pronouns and working on getting your new name right. And your voicemail on your cell phone still still says your old name. So could you help us out?" And she's a great friend. And I chuckled and said, "Thank you. I'll, I'll do that." And that that's that's reflection back to me. And in that moment, I realized that I hadn't changed my voicemail on the off chance that my brother would call me. And leave a voicemail, which might happen once or twice a year, mm. but I was making a choice just below the line of consciousness to not change my voicemail to my new name. So I told this friend, I'll do it tomorrow, and I did the next day. I recorded it and I changed it. And after I was done recording it, I was reflecting and I was like, What is that about? I was like, Well, I changed my voicemail, but I still haven't told my brother my new name, and then I'm gender non binary, and that. There's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on me and my brother's relationship. Uh, and so I wrote him an email the next day and told him. And he responded, I would say, fairly favorably. But you can just see in like my experience there of the reflection and the ongoing work to excavate. What is going on here? And what do I know about this? And he was the last person that I, on earth, that I was sort of, quote unquote, afraid to tell this part of who I am. And the freedom that comes from being, I can feel that emotionally when I say it, the freedom that comes from choosing a journey that says, I'm going to be all of who I am in this life, and I'm going to work on that, the relevant impact that that will have in the business world on your business as a leader is unbelievable. You know, Paul, I'm thinking about being at the summit this past year, and I'm going to forget both of their names. There were two presenters that talked about their personal journey, and then they talked about stepping more into who they were as leaders in their companies. Two separate presentations, and both of those leaders, CEOs, females of their companies, showed the moment in time where they stepped into who they really are to really lead their organizations and they showed graphs of what happened to their top line after that move, that moved me to tears. The first presentation, I was like, man, that's cool. And then the next day, same thing, another leader showing the impact that it had on the company. It gives the company and the people in it the permission to, go after who they really are and let the company become who it really is. And then some really cool things can happen.
0: And when you think about this email you sent to your brother and, you know, you and I have been around a while Beck. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of
2: years, (laughs) there's a lot
0: of years that you kept this inside from one of the most important people to you. And, and so, We all do it. We all have that. And yet, as you said, the response was a positive response. And so isn't there a lesson for all of us to know in these deep relationships, the fear that we have keeping things inside, that the chances and the things that we're worried about are probably not gonna happen. And and, and if we give other people the grace to show us their love and acceptance, then the sooner we get to it, the better. And I'm sure there was a little part of you that said, wow, that was great. I feel wonderful, but I could have done that sooner.
2: It's true. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about hiding ourselves and this whole thing around imposter syndrome is it's not as much a choice as we make it. I don't, I'm, let me unpack that a second. I think we make things bigger than they are because we're afraid and because of the messages. And so, look, I'll tell you how old I am. I'll be 62 in a month. And it's taken me this long to get to the place where a friend nudged me about something that was true. And I was grateful. And I followed that thread enough to see at 62, I didn't care how my brother responded because I had enough of myself. But before that, Paul? I cared a lot about how he would respond and it, we uh, my brother and I have a you know a long history together right but I have enough of who I am now that I'm okay if he hadn't responded positively I think that's the the real essence of how I got there to do do that it was just a couple of weeks ago in that moment was I have enough of myself and I'm okay if he responds poorly
0: um, yeah, and that you were—that can you happen were for people
2: earlier or old, or when they're older, yeah. right? I'm just glad I got there, right?
0: Right, and glad you you didn't wait another ten years, but you exactly. prepared yourself either way, and and that was really, like you said, you knew yourself had enough to to be able to do that, and I'm glad it it turned out positively. You know, as a CEO of Sticker Giant and in your senior leadership roles, did you feel generally that you could authentically? be yourself while acting as a CEO.
2: Yes. And I can say that at Sticker Giant, there was so much openness, right? And part of what we would talk about at Sticker Giant was that this is a place where you can be all of who you are. And You know, that's a that's a cool thing to say as a leader, right? You can be all of who you are here at this company. But I think as leaders, we have to look really deeply at okay, if we're telling people that, and that's part of our culture and how we attract people to the company, how much are we as leaders being all of who we are? Now, my story is, I call it unique or different maybe than dominant culture leaders, but the same is true of white heterosexual men, right? Mm -hmm. How much are you being all of who you are? Because that's where people sense authenticity. And I think Uh, with all these buzzwords that are coming, you know, empathy at work and authenticity and uh, vulnerability and all these words, what I see happening is leaders have sound bites about things. And they'll talk about things from a book they read or the note cards they made from the book. But people can sense that it doesn't go further than skin deep, right? So at Sticker Giant, I, when I joined the company, I was I told folks I had a a wife and been married, you know, we've been together 20 years and no big deal, right? That just was a, okay, it was just not a big thing. And then the summer that George Floyd was murdered, we were working on a DEI, more programmatic thing to implement at Sticker Giant. And I told the director of people and culture at the time she and I were getting ready to announce, you know, what we were doing with the company because it mattered a lot. And I was like, I need to tell the company I'm gender non-binary. And she knew I, um, and she's like, of course you are. And I was like, I don't want to make it all about me. So we worked about on how she and I were going to be passing the presentation back and forth. And at what point I was going to say that, because I, I just couldn't say you can be all of who you are and it's safe to do that at sticker giant and not, say all of who I am what we did was um, schedule a um, ask me anything after that presentation uh, so that we could go into more detail and people could ask questions but I didn't want to take up all the time there but I wanted people to know it was okay to ask me questions Um, because I'm open to that and not all not all people that are different are open whether it's if you're a person of color or you're disabled or there's so many ways that people are different and some people are less open to answering questions but I'm grateful that I I have the ability to hang in there and answer people's questions whether they you know are hard for me or easier for me I just want folks to know that it's okay to ask me questions but always ask others if it's okay
0: yeah and and you do that in such a giving and loving way without judgment and that's that's what makes it beautiful as you are now in this Maybe beginning phases of uh, a newer chapter and sharing uh, with the world what what do you find to be most challenging in this approach that you've had to merging the the mindfulness side and the business side together?
2: Well, I think the most challenging thing is um the pace that business is going right now um, and the change, right economic changes you think about just ai and chat gpt and uh, what's happening on social media i was just reading that now um, meta has the the new product that is res- in response to twitter called mm-hmm. uh, threads threads yeah I mean, there are more and more there's more and more information out there we are being bombarded by information even within our companies i think about organizations i work with and Previously, when I was in the workplace, uh, Slack is, has become the noisiest tool in the workplace. So the biggest challenge is helping leaders see that you've got to make time for yourself. It's one of the things in EOS that I'm a big fan of is the clarity break, right? Is, and I, can't, I read so much, I can't track this back to where I heard it. Someone was saying, um, you know, look at your calendar and see how many one-on-ones you have as a leader And do you have a one-on-one with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, All this output, there's so much uh, demand for output and execution. And it gets confusing how you're going to balance that with having reflective time and knowing how to take good care of yourself when the pace of business, the change in business is coming harder and faster. And we know, Paul, it's not going to change. It's not going to get slower ever again. Uh, The demand is going to continue. So that's the hardest thing is uh, for for leaders to see the value in even taking brief pauses. I call them uh, snack-size breaks, right, reflection moments Uh, because our tanks are getting emptied. And, you know, I recently went through burnout myself, so I know what it's like to be in the hot pot and you're the frog and you know it's hot in there, but you just don't know how hot until you get out. And I can reflect on my own process there of being one where I have a lot of privilege. I had a lot of ways to take care of myself and burnout knows no barriers. It knows no difference of people. Everybody is capable of burning out. I'm more yeah. interested in who's burning, not who's burned, right? I'm, I'm interested in those folks that know they're burning out and can we help them really evaluate where they get their energy and then devote some of their time to themselves to keep themselves their tank full, right? So they can be all of who they need to be in their companies.
0: Well, Beck, I, I imagine there's just a growing number of people who are just so welcome to your approach. And at the same time are feeling tremendous pressure with what's going mm-hmm. on in their companies, in their lives, supporting their families, and while welcoming of this might feel like, wow, this is something that's really difficult to take on. Well, I have all this other stuff going on. So, my final question to you is what advice would you share with these people who get it, who welcome it, but ask, where do I start?
2: Such a great question. I, I think you start with what's easy, right? When I teach meditation and mindful awareness, the best place to start is where it's easiest. And that can be really unique and different for everyone. So it might mean opening up to your partner or your spouse or a really good friend uh, that you're struggling or you're having that sense of external success isn't translating uh, to internal success and finding someone that you feel safe enough to open up around that and then Start surrounding yourself with other folks that are curious and interested in the same thing, because a lot of the reason we don't take our masks off or do the work we need to do on ourselves is because we don't hang out with other people that are doing that too. So Mm. when we do it as leaders, especially owners, founders, CEOs, senior leaders that see the value, then you give other people permission to do it, and that's going to make your your journey easier because you're surrounding yourself with people that you are giving permission to do the same thing in your company.
0: Mm -hmm. That's tremendous advice. Um, Beck, I want to end with these five quick hit questions we ask everybody, kind of like the association game. Uh, So say whatever just comes to your mind. Can you name a leader you look up to?
2: Oh yeah. His name is Gary Bertigue and he lives in Canada and he's one of my mentors. He and his son started Open Agile uh, could say a whole lot about that. He's been a mentor for me for more than 15 years.
0: Mm, Good one. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style?
2: Well, it's a uh, book by Tara Brock, and it's called Radical Acceptance. And it's uh, a meditation and mindful awareness book, but it is at the hallmark of who I am as a leader, accepting who I am so I can make room for people to accept who they are. Then we get all that stuff out of the way, right? That we can do in the business world when we can accept ourselves.
0: I love that title too. How about your favorite all time movie?
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Wow. Favorite all time movie. Gosh, I don't know if I have one, Paul. We we watch a lot of movies, but I don't, nothing's (laughs) really jumping to my mind right now.
0: Yeah. Anything, any TV show you like to binge watch?
2: Oh, my gosh. I finished watching The Walking Dead recently, which is Uh a show that I never thought I would be into. (laughs) But if if you watch The Walking Dead, look for all the leadership principles in that series. It is uh, phenomenal. And the, the character development in that show is just amazing. If you can get through the gore.
0: I know it's just a great a great show. That's a good one. And lastly, I don't know if you'd have an answer to this because you're such an open book and so sharing of yourself, but is there something about you that many people don't know?
2: Mm-hmm. I, you know, what I'd say is I struggle too, right? Um, I think the thing that I value so most, mo- most about myself is just being able to say, I'm human and I screw up, I make mistakes and... That's something I think when I talk in an environment like this, that people may not know um, that, that I'm human. I struggle. I'm not
1: perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think we all, we all share that. Well, Beck, uh, you are so inspiring uh, and so gracious to share your story with the world. And, and I love the work that you're doing now to be able to sit down with these leaders and take them through these steps To get there uh, in the same way that you have. And it just came from how you were raised and all these life experiences that you've had along Mm. the way. And they're continuing and you got a long way to go. I wanna share a few reflections myself of what I've learned. This is, I have so many quotes that I could now uh, publish (laughs) that came from Beck. You know, uh, it's beautiful. But, you know, just how you started to say the relationship we have with ourselves is the most important thing for leaders in business because we are so externally focused. And and that just takes a lot of reflection for us that are so driven to just stop for a second and realize that that's actually where we need to start before we can expect that of others in our organizations and before it really comes real and not just something we might throw on, on the website. Talk about mindfulness, the practice of observing, which brings emotional intelligence and that once you understand yourself, people will notice. And start to do mm-hmm. the same thing. The process for your life, which continues of taking masks off. I mean, if we could all just learn to start taking the masks off and realize there's no shame, there's no guilt, we can truly be ourselves and be open to sharing that with others. Um, it takes courage to grow up and be all of who you really are. That quote that you shared, mm-hmm. uh, that's just just beautiful. I mean, the way you grew up in that fundamental evangelical christianity had you had to grow out of that and you grew out of that um, even though you experienced it all the way up through the christian university Um, Mm -hmm. and i think a big turning point for you came just with your experiences at ups gave you new experiences noticed that there were other ways to look at the world Um, you got interested in psychology meditation got exposed to uh, naropa just through an online search and there you were and realized that you've been chasing your dreams your whole life. And I hope that you can now say you're experiencing your dreams, right? You'll always be chasing more, but that's something I I wish for you as well. Um, Mm. As a kid, you knew something was different. You couldn't define it. You withdrew, but that lifelong journey made you comfortable coming out to the leadership team. First at UPS, you were accepted, had a positive experience, and then you realized, huh, not only can I do this, but others can do it as well. And that's the gift I can give uh, back to them that you got on the other side of worrying about what other people think. Gosh, if we could all just do that. When you experienced acceptance, you started taking more risks and you gave up trying to convince people, right? It's not about convincing people. It's about just showing up as a friend or a caring person, which is what you do. And I love the story about what it took to finally talk to your brother
2: Mm.
0: and and how uh the friend who said hey you gotta change your voicemail and again it was something even unconscious that was a reason you kept it there but when you did it you got another experience of acceptance now changed the relationship uh, with your brother in a new and different and, and positive way as leaders we have to look at ourselves and first question how authentic we are before we can expect others to do the same and admitting that you are still struggling at times, that you are human, we are all human, we're not perfect, and, and we stumble along the way. But it's not only okay to go through those things, it's okay to talk about them.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: lastly, how you said for people that get it, want to start going down this road, and want to know how do I start? What you said was, Take small steps, do what's easiest, like being transparent with a loved one or a trusted person, and then surround yourself, build relationships with others that are experiencing the same thing. And Beck, I got to say, in all the podcasts I've done, I'm not sure I've walked away with so many lessons learned. And I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this and allowing us to share your grace with the listeners and the world. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
2: Oh, Paul, you're so welcome. And thank you and the team at Small Giants Community for the work you're doing. It matters. Uh, I love being connected with the community. And you guys are doing really important work to to help small businesses. So thank you for your work.
0: Well, thank you, Beck. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at SmallGiantsBuzz. Until next time.